Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. Governor Dayton made a budget proposal Friday that accounts for changes in the state economy and federal tax law since the state budget was passed last year. The governor quickly admitted it's a complicated proposal. He says his proposal would cut taxes for nearly 2 million Minnesotans and their families. There is $319 million in individual tax relief that would average $117 per family. However, to pay for it, he would repeal tax cuts enacted last year on certain tobacco products and corporations. This is a supplemental budget of significant individual income tax cuts and modest spending increases whose number one priorities are Minnesotans and their families. I look forward to working with the legislature during the next two months to enact these measures. The governor also proposes new fees to help pay for technology, water quality, and enforcement of regulations governing senior care facilities. Republicans quickly denounced the proposal. Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka called it, quote, too complicated and the wrong direction for Minnesota. He says it raises taxes and fees to pay for the failed Minlar system and failed oversight of senior care facilities. We'll have more on this coming up later in political analysis and in face-off. Now, the governor and a bipartisan group of lawmakers proposed a series of reforms to better protect seniors. The bill they proposed would spend $14.9 million to step up enforcement of regulations involving privately owned senior care facilities. The proposal also calls for tougher penalties for facility workers who abuse residents and for the companies that employ them. The governor was accompanied by lawmakers and his new commissioner of the Department of Health who will oversee the enforcement of the tougher regulations. The Democratic governor was even joined by his new Republican lieutenant governor, State Senator Michelle Fishbach, who both agree this is a serious problem that needs bipartisan solutions. Some of the abuses that I have learned about are not only illegal, they're deeply immoral. And, and those are first and foremost the responsibility of providers. And beyond that, the state has its responsibility. This does open up the conversation. So will this, will this does it ever happen that a bill passes exactly like it is introduced? And I'm sure we are willing to continue to improve it and, um, and work on this legislation to make sure that this is taken care of. There was a lighter moment at the news conference, the first featuring Dayton and his Republican lieutenant governor. They said they couldn't figure out how to take a selfie, so they posed for a picture together so we could take the picture. Well, a day later, Senate Republicans announced a separate proposal to prevent senior abuse in private long-term care facilities. The bill includes abuse prevention measures like allowing families to put cameras in the rooms of their loved ones. It also calls for a more transparent complaint process and more timely communication of investigative findings by state agencies. Republican Senator Karen Housley is chair of the Senate Aging and Long-Term Care Committee. This was an issue that has been forgotten for so long. It's extremely disappointing um, that the governor did not mention it in his State of the State last night. It wasn't one of his priorities. And it is, it is one of our priorities in the Minnesota Senate. Housley also says she wants to hold the state more accountable for overseeing senior care facilities. In a new report, the Minnesota Legislative Auditor suggests the state create a report to help county election officials identify those not eligible to vote. It comes after months of reviewing the state's voter registration system. Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon says his office will look into the auditor's recommendations. 
Meanwhile, a number of high-profile elections are on this November's ballot, including governor, two U.S. Senate seats, as well as eight congressional races. And Secretary of State Steve Simon warns Minnesota will need to invest an additional 7 to $14 million to replace outdated voting machines that legal experts consider security risks. Data collected by Five Eyewitness News shows that during the midterm elections, at least 20 counties will be using machines that are more than a decade old. Over the next several years, it's going to need substantial modernization to make sure that we have the most secure election system possible. Minnesota was one of 21 states targeted by Russian hackers during the 2016 elections, but the Minnesota system was not actually hacked, and it does remain secure. From St. Paul to Wyzetta and all around the country, students walked out of classrooms for 17 minutes on Wednesday. It was a show of solidarity with the students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida. The kids are demanding action on gun laws in the wake of that massacre. Students tell us they shouldn't have to worry about safety in their classrooms. We shouldn't worry about every time we hear a loud bang or something, we shouldn't worry about what that might be. We should assume it's some, someone dropped a box, not someone shot a gun. There were some students who did not participate, telling us they didn't think the walkout was the right course of action. Meanwhile, a bipartisan group of Minnesota senators unveiled a pair of bills on gun control in the wake of the deadly mass shooting. One would impose background checks on almost all gun sales and transfers. Another would require gun owners to report a lost or stolen weapon within two weeks. The bill's authors say it's time to act. We know that to keep our communities safe from gun violence will require broad bipartisan support for reasons of politics. We have to do something. I think doing nothing is not an option. But some senators say these bills are a waste of time and that lawmakers should instead focus on improving security and mental health resources at schools. A proposed Senate bill that would have eliminated state funding for police officers in schools may be uh, not going anywhere. Some community advocates say students of color can have negative experiences with the presence of more school resource officers. But when the bill came up for discussion in a Senate committee Tuesday, some lawmakers said those officers can be indispensable in times of emergency. We need to get the conversation back on safe schools and rather than reducing uh, the help of law enforcement. The bill was held over and does not have a new hearing date scheduled at this time. This week, a House committee heard testimony about sexual harassment. It comes as lawmakers debate a bill that would establish a task force of outside professionals. The task force would be responsible for coming up with procedures on reporting sexual harassment, giving lawmakers advice on training, and coming up with a nonpartisan way for receiving complaints. The bill's author says people might be more willing to talk to outside professionals so there is not a fear of retaliation. As a woman who has gone through the process currently in place, who tried to use the system that has been created by this legislature, I am here to tell you that the current system is woefully inadequate and needs an overhaul. Those who are closest to the problem are closest to the solution, and I hope that the solutions brought forth by people who've experienced this harassment here at the legislature or by candidates is taken really seriously. And you just heard from Lindsay Port and Representative Erin May Quaid, both women accused Senator Dan Schoen of sexual misconduct last year. Schoen and Representative Tony Cornish resigned amid allegations. 
The House committee will meet again on Tuesday to go over policy recommendations and hear more public testimony. Governor Mark Dayton gave his final State of the State address on Wednesday, and he started off with a bit of a light moment, poking fun at himself for fainting during last year's speech. Some people have suggested I conclude my speech now <laughs> to make certain I can walk out by myself. But the governor then quickly turned to more serious matters, including calling on lawmakers to take action on school safety issues and gun control. They can side with the NRA, who strongly opposes common-sense solutions to reduce gun violence in our schools and communities, or they can side with the school children of Minnesota who are begging us for it. We're looking at safe and secure schools. We're going to focus on hardening the target. We're going to make sure that we focus on mental health, that there's resources available. Uh, but when you talk about guns on either side of that issue, the fact is that's just not going to get anywhere. The governor also resurrected his proposal to offer all Minnesotans, not just low-income people, health insurance through the Minnesota CARE program. A bill that would increase penalties for protesters that block traffic, trains, or airport access is heading to the House floor for a vote. It changes the offense from a misdemeanor to a gross misdemeanor. The bill first surfaced last year in response to Black Lives Matter protests. The Republican-led Public Safety Committee passed it on Thursday, saying it would improve safety, but Democrats called the bill an attempt to stifle citizens' right to protest. A state official who oversaw creation of Minnesota's troubled computer system for vehicle licensing has been fired. Chief Business and Technology Officer Paul Meekin has been on leave since November. The system, known as MinLars, has been plagued by problems since it went online last summer. Meekin went out saying the success of a government project is never just one person's responsibility. Meanwhile, a Senate committee just this week approved providing $7.3 million to help fix MinLars, which has already cost taxpayers $93 million. The Department of Public Safety says it needs another $43 million to get the program to work. Minnesota U.S. Senator Tina Smith was on The View Friday in one of her first nationally televised interviews. The first thing she was asked about was the resignation of former Senator Al Franken. It's an extraordinary moment, and it was a really tough moment, too. I mean, first of all, Al was a champion for Minnesota, and he was a champion for progressive issues right. around the country. Smith replaced Franken after he stepped down amid several allegations of sexual misconduct. Smith said she would have liked to see a Senate ethics investigation into the allegations before Franken resigned. However, she believes Franken made the decision he thought was best for him and his family. Still ahead, we'll take a look at the many bills introduced at the Capitol this session that could impact what you can do while driving on Minnesota roads and highways. And then our political experts will join me for political analysis. We'll be back in two minutes. There are several bills under consideration at the state capitol that could impact what you can legally do while you drive or change the penalties for existing laws you violate. As the highways get more crowded and new technologies create more driving distractions, government is reminding us that driving is a privilege, not a right. Vehicle owners have the right to drive on public roads and highways. But since 2008, Minnesotans haven't had a right to do this, text while driving. Minnesota was the third state to ban texting while driving. 
I have the honor and heavy burden of representing those who lost a loved one to a distracted driver. Then again, so do you. Greg Tukulski's dad was killed while picking up his morning paper. The driver was texting. Now Tukulski is pushing for a bill that would only allow talking on cell phones in cars in hands-free mode. A bill with bipartisan authors and optimism this is the year it passes. I hope politics isn't playing a role here, but uh, we, we need to put that aside and move forward to save people's lives. People from across the state of Minnesota have demanded this law, and we will deliver this year. There's also a new push to toughen penalties for distracted driving. The bill's author saw a woman blatantly texting and driving while he was driving home from the Capitol this week. I'm like, what are you doing in the fast lane doing 42? And as I go by her, she's got the cell phone right here texting. There's also a bill to toughen penalties for DWI offenders. Minnesota has one of the highest recidivism rates in the country uh, for repeat drunk drivers and their offenses, and that's too much. At some point, you've got to put public safety ahead of somebody's convenience to drive a car. And yet another bill to ticket people driving too slowly in the left lane. It just is going to raise the awareness to people that they should be in the right lane and traffic will flow much better. Now, most of these bills have gotten a committee hearing or passed through at least one committee, so they're all still alive. However, however some of these bills, like the hands-free cell phone bill, have come up before and not become law. And time now for political analysis. I'm joined by former DFL state senator Ember Reichgott Young and Republican strategist Andy Brem. Thank you both for being here. Ember, you were in the legislature for a number of years. You, you know how some of these bills just take a while before they're ready for prime time. Is the hands-free cell phone use bill one of those bills? They've been trying it now for four years. I think the time is coming for that bill, and you're right, it wasn't received well a number of years ago, but now it is. There is a groundswell of support. I'm hearing that some of the state committees have passed it unanimously. You don't see that hardly at all in this legislative session. So I think this is on its way, and it's much needed for Minnesota. In fact, last year, I believe they couldn't even get a hearing on the bill. Right. Now it passed unanimously on a voice vote in one committee in the House, but that doesn't mean it's the end of the discussion. Very often these bills where it involves taking away a freedom uh, are not that easy to pass ultimately. Well, uh, we never like government to take away a freedom, but where government has a legitimate role to play is in enhancing public safety uh, and on public roads. And so distracted driving is a huge problem. It is a huge danger. And in the same way that we have to be tough on drunk driving, we need to be tough on distracted driving. All right. Well, the big story, of course, near the end of the week on Friday, the governor made his supplemental budget proposal. Usually these are just a little tweak here and there, you know, just to account for changes in the economy and the budget surplus or deficit. Uh, this year, Ember, it's a different story. This is a very complicated proposal by the governor, and he's trying to undo that tax bill he didn't like from last year. First of all, they are trying to deal with every hot-button issue you can possibly deal with in a short three-week session. So this is or not three month a good three-month yeah. session. So <laughs> it's, but it's, the deadlines are much shorter than that, sure. remember. So it is a very difficult uh, task. Uh, yes, you're right. He is trying to balance out what passed last year. Take away those tax breaks for tobacco companies and instead use that to balance out the income tax relief to middle-class families that's being taken away by the federal tax bill because some of our families are not going to do well under the federal bill. But Andy, it has added a layer of complexity to an already 
complex issue of trying to conform our tax system with the new federal tax law, and on top of that, he wants to undo things that were just enacted last year. It's enormously complicated. Uh, I haven't quite gotten my head around the whole thing, to be entirely honest. But this is not a time for tax comple uh, complexity. It's a time for tax simplicity. We've seen that work on the federal level, and it's what we need to bring to the state. So, you know, what the governor's trying to do, little tax increases here, little tax cuts there, let's simplify it. Let's, let's deal with it directly. Now, there are some fees, fairly substantial, on uh, privately owned senior care facilities. I think it's seven or $8,000 a year, uh, possibly a small fee for... Uh, water quality and technology, including fixing minlars. Uh, how well received are those things likely to be? Well, how well received was the legislative auditor report that showed the amazing number of abuses in our elder care facilities? I mean, the point is there's a real problem here and we need to solve it. We have underfunded this solution over the years, and so we might need to raise some fees to make it happen. On the Mimlar's uh, situation, uh, the government's already spent $93 million. They want $43 million more. Now they want, apparently, uh, motorist drivers to pay for it. It's an incredible amount of money. Minnesota does not have a revenue problem. We are one of the highest tax states in the country. So if we need to reprioritize or shuffle money around, we can do that. But there's no reason to go back to businesses or taxpayers and, and have more revenue. Minnesota has plenty of it, and when we make mistakes, we need to find it from somewhere else. Well, I think this proposal has just made uh, the end of session much more complicated and divisive Indeed. than I think we uh, anticipated. Ember and Eddie, thanks for being here. Face Off is next. And then a uh, sure sign of spring is... Just about here in Minnesota, we'll tell you about that in a bit. We'll be back in two minutes. And it's time now for Face Off. Republican strategist Andy Brem back doing double duty today. And <laughs> former Governor of Dayton Press Secretary Catherine Tanucci is here. Thank you both Thank for you. being here. And Catherine, let me start with you. Uh, this is a fairly complicated document that the governor <laughs> presented on Friday. Uh, how likely is it that this is going to pass in any form like this? Well, I think it's essential that we, we need to do something, and I think that this is a really great place to start. It's a strong proposal from the governor that both protects the fiscal integrity of our state's finances and also leads with a, a tax relief for individuals and, and middle-income families. Um, I think that's going to be hard for, for Republicans to argue against, and I think that um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be popular with, with the people, and, and, and we have the, we've got the time to do it. Taxes are, are never simple. It's always complicated. Legislation's complicated. We can do it, though. But the tax cuts that he wants to repeal were the ones in the tax bill that led to the Supreme Court case this summer and all kinds of shenanigans. What's the likelihood that they're going to undo things from last session and then enact new laws this session, plus get our state tax system to conform to federal law? I mean, it's, 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 it's very unlikely, and it's a huge uh, undertaking. I mean, I disagree. Taxes don't have to be complicated. That's what we saw done at the federal level with great success, uh, people getting uh, bonuses, uh, the economy roaring ahead. So I think what we need is a more simplistic approach. This is an incredibly complicated document. You can try to twist it a bunch of different ways, but I think, again, it's a non-starter. Well, and it's, it's fundamentally difficult to understand. I, I know even Republicans on Friday were still trying to wrap their arms around what this is all about. Right, and, and, and that's fine. We can take a simplistic approach to taxes, but that'll mean that middle-income Minnesotans will be paying more on their tax bill next year. And so the governor's proposal and the plan that he's putting forward right now 
will address that and give middle class tax relief. And I think that if we do nothing, then Republicans will have to answer to that why they were willing to, to fight for tax breaks for the wealthiest Americans and Minnesotans and corporations while asking middle class working people to pay more. And Republicans say they will have their own proposal. They're going to digest this over the weekend and probably next week have their own proposal and it's likely to look much different than this. I, I, I'm sure it will, and I look forward to it. <laughs> uh, let's talk about one other issue. The uh, gun control issue came up. A bipartisan group of senators uh, proposed universal background checks and uh, mandatory reporting of stolen or lost uh, weapons, and they were severely criticized, especially by gun rights supporters. Uh, I imagine you're not surprised by that. I'm not surprised. It's, it's, I'm still a little disappointed to hear that because what, what they've proposed is a really common sense set of reforms that, that we know that the public is for. People are for this. Students walked out of school demanding uh, reforms like this. And I think it was very brave, and I applaud the Republican senators who, who went against previous NRA support to support these really common sense, popular bipartisan reforms. And there are Republicans and Democrats supported by the NRA, so this is not really a partisan issue. Certainly not. Uh, so w w where do you stand on this? Is it common sense, or is it one more step? closer to taking away some rights of gun owners. Well, we all agree that schools need to be safer. There's no question about it. It's absolutely abhorrent that we've got kids leaving their classrooms because they feel unsafe. I mean, everybody agrees that we need to do more to make sure schools are safe. But we, can't, we have to focus on that and not be distracted by regulations that just make it harder for, for law-abiding citizens to practice their Second Amendment rights. We all want kids to be safe. Let's focus on what actually gets that done. And there's still some debate on whether it would stop these shootings or not. So the debate will continue as it has for many years now. Catherine and Andy, thanks for being here. A sure sign that spring is just around the corner. Target Field preparing for the baseball season. We'll be back in just a moment. Baseball season is almost upon us, and the Minnesota Twins announced new plans for you to get tickets for the month of April. The spring ballpark pass gives you access to all 13 games at Target Field in April, minus opening day. The price, just $49. You can buy the Spring Ballpark Pass now on the Twins website. And take a look at this. Work is underway to get Target Field ready for the season. Look at how green that field looks. The protective blankets are now off, so grounds crews can start watering and fertilizing the grass. The Twins home opener is against the Seattle Mariners April 5th. Send those guys to my house next. And you can listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on our website. Just head to At Issue page at KSTP.com. That is all the time we have for now. We'll see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.